Hi, I'm Ryan Becker, and you're listening to the Rock Hill Seventh-day Adventist Church Official Sermon Archive. You can find more information about our church at www.rockhillsdachurch.org. We hope by listening to this message that you are encouraged and challenged in your walk with Christ. You know, I was, um, a few, uh, about a month ago, I was doing an evangelistic series in Panama, and when I went to Panama, I realized that I not only belong to a local church, I'm actually part of a global family. And I know that even here in Rock Hill, I'm not just in a church, I'm amongst family. So I just wanna thank you so much for hosting me, thank you so much for allowing me to be here. Um, I would like for you to please turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter four, and we're gonna be reading from God's Word, chapter four, verses 35 through 41. To tell you a little bit about myself, uh, unfortunately, I'm not uh, Ryan Becker. Uh, I'm also not, even though my, na- my first name is Mark, I'm not Mark Finley. Uh, to, the, to my Hispanic brothers and sisters, I'm not Alejandro Guillon. I'm Peruvian. Uh, but I'm not a famous evangelist. I'm not a famous pastor, but I am only a sinner saved by grace. And Amen. I want to tell the entire world about a, a, a Savior uh, that saves us from all our sins, addictions, and everything else. Let us pray before we read the Word of God. Father God, Lord, thank you so much for bringing me here. Thank you so much for bringing uh, the members here and the brethren here. I ask that you may hide me behind the cross. May it be you who gets all the attention and not me. Speak through me, Father, and may your word speak for itself. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. The context of the passage in which we're in. Jesus is tired. Jesus is completely exhausted. He's been ministering uh, throughout the entire day. I come from a college campus in which it's easy to get tired. You know, I have friends that sleep four hours a day. I have friends that sleep three hours. Uh, but then they get up, they drink something, or you know, they don't do anything. They just pray it up. Through faith, they go. And they're ready to conquer the day. But Jesus has been debating theology with the Pharisees. He's been uh, healing. He's been performing miracles. He's been doing every kind of things that ministers have to do. And so when we come to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, Jesus is exhausted. Have you ever been exhausted in your life to the point in which you're just, you know, I need the Sabbath. I need to rest. You know, how many of you are tired? Just raise your hand. Don't be shy about it. There you go. Thank you. You know, we're all human. We're all people. And we're all, we all get tired. So we see in uh, verse 35, let's read in our Bibles. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was, he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid, even though you're about to die? Have you still no faith? Uh, I added that part, sorry. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now I like to run. Uh, I like, you know, running is my exercise. Running is... uh, I used to hate running because, um, you know, I, I wasn't as, let's say, skinny. But back then, 
you know, I was, I, I was a very chubby kid. Uh, I was more round than I was, you know, this. And I, I didn't like running, I hated running. But, you know, when, when I started growing up and when the hormones hit me, I wanted to lose weight. And so I would go running every single day and I eventually started to like running. And when I got to Southern, uh, I studied at Southern Adventist University. I didn't, uh, there was this time uh, that I didn't run for a week. And you know that if you exercise a lot, and if you stop exercising for, for a while, you know, you get kind of flaggy, lethargic, you don't want to do much. And it was, I didn't exercise from Sunday to Sunday. And Sunday at 5 p.m., my friend comes to me and says, Mark, I would love for you to come running with me. And so I said, well, um, you know, I'll do it. I'll do it for you. And so he told me to meet him in the lobby. And he said, we're going to run at 10 p.m. Well, I was, you know, by the grace of God, I'll do it then. And so I came to meet him in the lobby, and he was with a friend. Now, I had no idea who he was, and I was like, okay, let's go running. And I thought it was going to be a regular run, you know. And we start. We start running, and then they start talking between them while running. And when I'm running, I like to focus. I like to, you know, focus on the goal. On the goal. But I overhear them, and they're saying, are you ready for the triathlon next week? And, you know, the only thing about triathlon that I understand is try, you know, because I, I can't do triathlons. And he tells his friend, have you practiced 10 miles of swimming? Have you practiced 20 miles of running? And however many miles of biking? And I said, you know, I'm not from the South, but I said, bless your heart. <laughs> that's, that, you know, that's a long route. And uh, I questioned if there were Seventh-day Adventists or Christian, because do you, you know? And so we started running, and we kept running, and we kept running, and I started getting tired. You know, it's nice to begin exercise. You have the motivation, you, 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 want, you want to keep going. But it's in the middle. It's in the middle of running that determines how you will finish. It's in the middle that determines how fast you will go. It's in the middle that pain happens. It's in the middle where injuries happen. It's in the middle where you question if you should continue running or not. So, you know, I continue going. Uh, and I'm tired, I, I'm, I'm angry at them, but I don't show it, you know, because I, I want to keep running. And there came a point where, you know, I wasn't running, I was just enduring. Uh, something that I enjoyed became something that I had to endure. The middle of running was my comfort zone, but not because I was stretched to my limits because of my friends, I didn't like it anymore. And so while we were running, you know, uh, we were in mile number four, and um, I was like, listen, guys, I can't do it anymore. We, we, I don't care what you think, I gotta sit down. And then they were like, no, Mark, keep going. And I was like, no, I can't, I can't, just please. And we sat down, and then they were like, keep going. Just keep going, just trust us. And, you know, I, I, uh, I've never felt so, you know, so Adventist in my life in this moment, because I started praying, I started fasting for 15 minutes while I was running, and I said, you know, let, let me continue, let me go on, and, what they did was they were so fit that one of them would run with me and the other one would go ahead. And then they would come back and they would switch. I was embarrassed. Because, you know, I would, I'm usually the fit one in the group, but this time I was the one slow. So we reached our destination. And, oof, it's so sweet, isn't it, when you reach the end? I, I, I don't know if you've been in a long road trip. You know, I've been in 20-hour flights. It's sweet, the beginning. But it's sweeter, the end. It's sweet to start a road trip, you know what I'm saying? It's sweet to start like a six-hour drive, but it's sweet to end. But it's in the middle that you're tested. 
we had run five miles in 40 minutes. I, you know, I didn't do it because I can. I had to do it because I didn't want to, I didn't want to die, you know, in the middle of the road. <laughs> I wasn't wearing glasses. I couldn't see beyond the night. And so when we come to this text, we see that the disciples were in evening. They couldn't see what was in the distance. But the disciples had one job. And before coming to being disciples of Jesus, they were what? Fishermen. The disciples were fishermen. Now, fisher, fishermen, the spirit of prophecy tells us that, you know, they were hard men. They were sturdy men. They were men of character. And so when they came to Jesus, they came with, you know, they had worked a lot. And so look back at the text. Verse 35 says, on that day when evening had come. Evening was the time of day in which fishermen usually went to fish. You know, you wouldn't think that because we work 9 to 5. Um, we work, yeah, that's usually the time, but not a lot of people go to work at, at night, but fishermen did because that's when fish, that's when fish come up. This was the disciples' comfort zone. This was the normal of the disciples. They were used to going out at night. And we continue reading. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Christ chose the most familiar the most normal of times to take his disciples. Now, do we know what sea or lake was this when they were crossing it? We're told that Jesus was actually in the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee, we're told in Matthew chapter 4, in the Sea of Galilee, that's where Jesus had started his ministry. In the Sea of Galilee, uh, Jesus had walked on water later in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus also had called four disciples in the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee was a place of miracles. The Sea of Galilee had sentimental value because that's where some of them had been called. The Sea of Galilee was their workplace. Did you know that even God can test you in the most normal of situations? Some of you know that you know, you've been in familiar you know, environments, you've been in familiar you know, places, but you, can, you will never have unforeseen circumstances. Sometimes God can disrupt the normal. I'm going to read again from verse 35. On that day when evening had come, the most normal of times, he, Jesus, said to them, let us go across to the other side. Reading in verse 36. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Now let me talk a little bit about the middle. Jesus had to remove his disciples from the crowd to get them through the middle. Jesus was just speaking to multitudes, to crowds. He had to remove them from the plurality of opinion and get them to the singularity of Christ. Remove them from the collective and deal with them as individuals. What does this mean, church? Christ can work through you in the collective, but it's better if he works with you individually. Before we expect collective reform, we as Adventists love you know, reform in churches. We love to have reform. We love, you know, we love imposing laws, and that's good. But we need first to love Christ. Before we have collective reform as a church, we need individual revival. And that's where Christ gets them. He gets them away from the crowd because he needs to deal with them as individuals first. Jesus had just enough people for them, not to be a nuisance, but to be a source of strength and a source of help. You know, I started in the, in, in, with my story while I was running. 
that my friends would come with me, and one of them would go, and another one would stay with me, but they were with me. The disciples had each other with them through the storm. And Jesus had to take them away from the crowd, from the peer pressure of whoever was there. Sometimes Christ has to take you out from the normal situations. Christ has to take you in the dark, darkest of times because that's when light is most appreciated. And Jesus is, as we know, the light of the world. Some of you have been through tests. Some of you have been through storms. And I can assure you that just like Jesus did not let his disciples go through the storm alone, he had 12 people with him, and he was with them in the boat as well. Amen. Friends, and from this what I get and what I want to ask you is, who is in your boat? Do you have friends that will encourage you through the storm? And I'm not just talking about family. Family is good, but do you have friends that have been put there in your life by the will of God? Have you prayed for those friends that will endure with you through the storm? Who, brothers and sisters, is in your boat? Uh, continuing in verse 36, and leaving the crowd that took with him in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. I was curious to see uh, what these other little boats were. Because, I mean, the, Jesus has said, let us, the disciples, let us go to the other side. You know, when, when I was a little kid, um, I had an older, I still have an older brother. And when, when, my, when my brother and his friends would go somewhere, guess what I wanted to do? I wanted to go with them. And so that's what I'm thinking and when, when I see this verse, is this other little boats were with him, but they were uninvited. And I remember this one time, uh, my brother wanted to go play ping pong with his friends. And I had no idea what ping pong was, but I wanted to do it because my brother was there. And so I told him, listen, I'm going to go with you. And he was like, no, you're not. And, I, and this was in Spanish, so, you know, we were screaming. And in English, it's a softer translation. And uh, just imagine the subtitles while we're talking. And he said, uh, and he told my mom, mom, you know, it's 7 p.m., let him go to sleep. And, you know, my mom uh, said, no, you're taking him. And he was like, no, he's staying with you. My mom said, I'll beat you if you don't take him. He was like, okay. So my brother took me with him, and I was there. And I played ping pong, you know, you know they, were there, they had their own game of ping pong here, and my brother gave me a small racket and a ping pong ball, and I played with a wall. And that was all he gave me. But when he said, you know, and I was uninvited. And so when I read, and other boats were with him, it's one of those portions of scripture that we just read over. Like it's unimportant or completely, it was just maybe Mark wrote it for no reason. But did you know that the spirit of prophecy in Desire of Ages tells us this? That these little boats did not have enough of Jesus. They had listened to Jesus, but they wanted to follow Jesus even more. And so they were following, not just Jesus, but they were following this boat in which Jesus was in. And Jesus wasn't alone in the boat. Who else was in there? The disciples. There will be people in your life that will follow Christ because you're a leader. People, there are many people that are looking to you as sources of their faith, as examples of their faith. And they will be looking to you as to how do you deal with your storm? How do you deal with the situations of life in which are unforeseen? Unforeseen circumstances in familiar situations. These little boats, whether it be your children, whether it be your parents, whether it be your family, your friends, how do you deal with the storm that God has delegated to you? It is up to you. How, are you still faithful? And imagine like when they go through the storm, I'm just imagining like, 
these little boats are screaming to the disciples, wake Jesus up. Because their only solution is in that boat. But then they're trying with their own efforts to get the water out, but Jesus is sleeping and they're screaming to them, please wake him up, but they don't. What do you do when you're through the storm and you're a leader and people are looking at you? Verse 37. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat. Are you with me, church? So that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. How many of you have ever slept past an appointment? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. We're, we're in the church of God. I'll, but I'll be honest with you. I've, uh, I've slept past a dentist appointment. I've slept past a passport appointment. I've slept past, uh, I, I think I slept past a date once. And oh, that, that one was a lie. I slept, you know, past classes. I'm still single, praise God. Um, I've slept through many things, but I don't think I've ever slept through someone dying. I don't think, I, you know, I can imagine the disciples, you know, they're going through their head of the sermons of Christ. You know, Christ is like, I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. And the disciples are looking at him like, wow, you know, this is our master, teacher. Thank you so much. But when you're in the storm, you don't care if he called himself the bread of life. You don't care if he's the light of the world. The light of the world is apparently sleeping right now. I mean, just imagine, like, you know, you have someone that, have people ever failed you? You know, they tell you that they'll do this, they'll do that. And, you know, this is the savior of the world. And, you know, Peter's like, man, I, God, I love you so much. I treasure you. But will you treasure me during the storm? Will you treasure me while you're going through the disappointments of life? And, you know, Jesus has been healing. Jesus has been you know, there for the people, ministering, and now he's sleeping while I'm in my storm? And so, you know, I, I get confused because in the middle of this windstorm, it's in the middle where the waves are breaking literally into the boat. They're about to die. In fact, Peter says later, we're perishing. And perishing is not a quick death. Perishing is what? A slow, rotting death. And for a fisherman, that means drowning. You mean my savior is going to die for the rest of the world, but he can't save us right now? I, you know, in my, in my dignified imagination, I think Judas, when he saw that, that's when he decided he was going to betray. Because my savior is sleeping right now. And, you know, Jesus is having a time of his life. So he finally gets some rest. And just imagine, you know, 24 eyes coming to, rushing towards him. And there's 12 men looking at you as you wake up. And he looks at them. And when he wakes up, you know, he, with his beautiful green eyes and peppermint breath, he, you know, he just looks at them and he, um, and he, and, you know, he listens to them. And, and we continue reading. He says, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I wonder how many Christians have cried that out to Christ. Do you not care that I am perishing? Do you not care that my parents are perishing? My financial situation, my marriage is perishing, my children are perishing. Doesn't even have to be physical, but maybe spiritually perishing. My life is perishing, and you are, you are asleep on my boat 
at the back of my boat and you are asleep in the middle of my storm? Notice the timing of when the disciples get to Jesus. Notice the position where Jesus is right now. So the disciples get to Jesus not when the great windstorm arose. Look at verse 37. The disciples did not come to Jesus when the waves are originating. But the, wave, but the disciples come to Jesus when the waves break into the boat. Have you ever had a problem so bad in your life that it, the results weren't just external, but they were internal? And many times we go to Jesus when the problems finally affect us personally. We don't go to Christ at the beginning of the problem. We go to Christ when? At the apex of its power. When it breaks into our lives. When it breaks into our boat. We go to Christ when we finally have no solution. And they left, I mean, Jesus was in the stern of the boat. Do you know where the stern is? I thought the stern was, you know, they had a little, a little suite for him. But no, the stern is actually at the back of the boat. So the disciples were so comfortable in their comfort zone. The disciples were so confident that they were going to get through the storm. So they put Jesus at the back of the boat. They let him sleep. Do you think Jesus would have been awake if they would not have let him sleep? The Son, the son of God would have been awake if, if they wanted him to. But because they were in their comfort zone, because they were okay with the results, or because they were accustomed to the storms, and because they were accustomed to just getting through, they were not expecting such a big one in which their human power could not control. We finally, sometimes we finally get to Christ when it's out of our control. Brothers and sisters, do not come to Christ only at the apex of the power of your storm. Seek Christ at the beginning of your storm. Seek Christ at the beginning of your storm. Maybe you're asking yourself, you know, if I didn't seek him at the beginning, is that it for me? No. Because when the disciples woke Jesus up in the middle of the storm, this is what happened. Verse 39. And Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. I want us all to say it together. Peace be still. Ready? Peace, Peace be, be still. still. You know, the King James versions and the, uh, the ESVs really puts it nicely together. Peace be still. You know? The original Greek actually, be still actually means hush. And in the New Galvis translation, that means shut up. Be still just means be quiet. Have you ever met someone that talked too much? I'm someone that talks too much. And, you know, my mom had to tell me many times in order to learn to be quiet. So Christ doesn't just stop at peace. And he doesn't just say hush. Christ says what? Peace. Hush. And what that tells me is that peace is an, out, you know, is an external manifestation. And hush or be still is an inward expression. Let me give you a few examples. I am at peace when I read my Bible, but I am still when I pray. I am at peace when I am in church, but I am still when I meditate on God's word. There are reasons why Jesus didn't just say peace or he just didn't say still. One must be at peace and then be still. 
I can imagine Jesus, you know, there's a wave coming towards him, and he says, peace. And then he says, be still, and the wave goes back. And then, you know, you ask yourself, so what do I do in order to inherit this peace? What do, I do, what do I do so that I can hush? The most powerful tool that we have been given is the Word of God. Amen? The most powerful tool that we can do every single day of our lives as Christians is to meditate on the Word of God. And many times we want the walk that Enoch had. We want the faith that Moses had. We want the patience that Joseph had. But can Christ trust us with these such big things if we can't fulfill our personal devotions in the morning? Spirit of Prophecy says that Ellen White changed my life, so that's why I'm referencing her a lot. She says that God will make you, will give you the big things if you're faithful in the small things. How much time do we give Christ? You know, we're in the middle of the storm, and I know that we just stopped in our story, but I want to ask you from... A student pastor, not pastor yet, to you. How was your relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you talked to him this morning? Have you talked to him last night? Did you talk to him yesterday morning? Are you going to talk to him? Or do you just come to church as a checklist? Do you just come to church in order to, you know, listen to a word and not talk to him for the rest of the week? Do we really love Christ if we don't prioritize him? How do, you know, and I, I never really got to know Christ until I actually met him. And you meet someone when you spend time with them. I was in a social psychology class in, 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 in college last semester, and the professor said something that absolutely blew my mind. He said, one of the number one determining factors if a relationship is going to grow or last for time is proximity. How close these two are to each other, whether it be physical, whether it be through uh, communication, whether it be emotional, how close they are determines how they will be in the future. Are you close to Jesus Christ? How do you start a personal, a, a personal life, you know, a personal devotional life? Um, I believe that every sermon should be practical, so I'm going to just give you some examples. As your personal devotions, you can read through the Bible in a year. You can start a plan. You can also read the Sabbath school lesson. You can pick up a devotional from a local bookstore or from here from the church. But most importantly, in every single devotional, is prayer. Prayer, prayer, and prayer. Prayer can be spoken out loud. Prayer can be done on your knees. Prayer can be done as you're walking by. Prayer can be done as you drive. My personal favorite, the way I pray, is I journal my prayers. I journal my prayers, and I write to Christ. And, you know, I've, I've had prayers that last from, I write for 10 minutes. Sometimes I've written in my journal for an hour and a half. And sometimes I pray, I pray in the morning and I pray in the evening. Now, my knowledge, you know, I come from a, from a small Hispanic church. And, I, you know, no matter how many years I will study theology, I will never know more than the old ladies at my church. <laughs> I'm serious. Because all they do is pray. And when, and when they come to church, they're the first ones there. If the program starts at 10 a.m., they'll be there the day before at 10 p.m. <laughs> they have a faith that I've never seen in my life. And, you know, when, when, I'm, when, you, when you're growing up, you don't understand it. But when you, you understand relationship when you know who they're communing with. And I asked one of, these, uh, one of the sisters at my church. She saw me grow up, and uh, I told her, her name's Rebecca, and I said, Rebecca, um, I'm, I'm studying theology now. And she's like, good. 
I was like, okay. <laughs> and she said, the first thing she asked me, she didn't ask me about exegesis, she didn't ask me about my grades, she didn't ask if I was doing good in Hebrew or Greek, she asked me, how much time do you spend with the Lord? And to my embarrassment, uh, I had spent five minutes that morning, at best, and she said, you know, the most important thing that a pastor, that a Christian could do is spend time with the Lord. How can you give answers if you don't know Christ? The best time, the best thing that you could do in the morning, the best thing that you could do at night before you go to sleep is pray. In order for you to be at peace, in order for you to experience a peace that surpasses all understanding, pray, meditate on God's word, worship Christ, not just on Saturday, but throughout the week. We're not just Seventh-day Adventists on Saturday. We're Seventh-day Adventists. We're Adventists on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday. We represent Christ every day of the week. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, and this is my last point of, of the day. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They had been, they had been with him this whole time, and they still didn't know. And Christ is still telling you that today. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Church family, even if you didn't seek Christ at the beginning, maybe you haven't seeked him at all. Maybe you haven't talked to him in a month or three, or maybe he's just here because of tradition. I want to tell you, begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. We will not be saved through religion. We will be saved through relationship. Get to know Christ's word. It's available online. It's available right here. Get to know the word of God. And I'm not an expert, I'm not perfect, but it's a process called sanctification. And it's a, it's a big word to describe that I fall, but I get up. I will fall in sin, but I get up. And as a Christian, our habit should not be to fall, but our habit should be to get up. Every time we fall, we get up. And we get up first on our knees, we pray, Father God, help me today. And we conquer daily. The Word of God tells us that we should carry our cross daily. It is not an annual thing. It is not one day of the week. It is daily that we take the cross. This is my last one. They had been covered with water and rain, and now they were covered with the peace of Christ. Jesus did not want to take them to the storm, but Jesus wanted to take them through the storm. Christ will never take you to a storm. A storm is only a point of transition to your destination. Christ did not take them to the storm. Christ will take you through the storm. For the storm to be still, for the storm to be quiet, for the storm to be at peace, they had to be still. They had to stop. They had to stop, you know, getting the water out of the, out of the boat. They had to stop running around, stop shouting at each other, stop calling each other names because the, 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 the water wasn't getting out of the boat. They had to stop and look at Christ, wake him up, and be still and wait for him to rebuke the wind. Church, when was the last time you were still? When was the last time you were at peace? Have communion with Christ, not just every day, you know, not just on Saturdays, but have communion with Christ every single day, and that is where peace begins. Be saved through relationship and not just through religion. And my last point, Christ will not take you to the storm, but Christ will take you through the storm.
Amen. God bless you, church. Amen. I'd rather have Jesus. Stand, please.